Welcome to the Eternal Family podcast class. This is class number two entitled, Our Heavenly Parents. Brief repeat for the new people, if you don't mind, those of you who came last week. There are four cornerstone classes. Four classes you have to take in order to graduate from any church organization. BYU, Pathways, and Institute. The first one is Jesus Christ and the Everlasting Gospel. How many pages of scripture would be included in that course? Thousands, all of them. The next one is the teachings and doctrines of the Book of Mormon. How many pages of scripture would be included in that course? As many as there are in 531 pages of the current Book of Mormon. The third one are teachings and doctrines of, or no, foundations of the restoration. How many pages? The Doctrine and Covenants is a little bit under 300 pages with Joseph Smith's inspired documents, maybe 350. And then there's one more cornerstone class that you have to take in order to graduate. It is called the Eternal Family. How many pages does, is the text for that class? One. one page. In fact, it's not even a full page. It's just a half a sheet. The backside is blank. This entire class is built on an inspired document called The Family, a Proclamation to the World. What does that say to you that the church would require? No one can graduate from a church school without studying intensely this piece of paper. Does it tell you what they see coming and the threat? The biggest threat they see is coming towards your family. So how do we preserve the family against that threat? Now, allow me to suggest, we're going to take as a basis for this class, allow me to suggest that you have three eternal families. And until you connect yourself to all three of them, you're going to miss some of the points that they're trying to teach you in this document. So very briefly, let me just kind of point out your three eternal families. Let's start with mortal families. Birth is a process of taking something that already exists, adding to it something created, and combining those into a new form. So when I was born 54 years ago, Heavenly Father took my spirit, which already existed, and then there was a body created. And those two came together and I became a mortal person. I came into mortality. Now, no one comes alone. We all need help. So Heavenly Father says, hey, the two people who created what was created become your shepherds, your guides. You inherited a mother and a father. They created what was created, so they become your guardians, your helpers. They're going to help you through this life. So there's the pattern. But the same thing happened before we got here. This is the end product of another birth. Long before you came here, whoops, wrong direction. Long before you came here, Heavenly Father took something that already existed. Now, this is deep doctrine, and we'll save it for another day. 
Well, at one point, you were an intelligence. We have no idea what that is. We just know that that's what we were. You have always existed. There was never a time in all the eons of the past where you did not exist. That makes sense, really, because if you have no end, what would that say about your beginning? You can't have no end and yet have a beginning. If you began, you end. If you don't end, you didn't begin. And we didn't. We were intelligences. But someone took that intelligence and created something else. They created a spirit body. Now, who's they? A mother and a father. And you became part of their eternal family. If you've never thought about that doctrine, let me testify, you have a heavenly mother. You have a heavenly mother and a heavenly father. Um, we use often in the scriptures and in sacred places, the term for God is Elohim. And that word is plural. It is not singular. It doesn't mean him. It means them. You were born into an eternal family. Heavenly parents. And they gave birth to this, combined it with that, and created this. And for who knows how many eons you dwelt in their presence. Every one of you know God intimately. You know what he looks like. You've been on his shoulders. You've been in his lap. He's read you stories. You've held his hand and gone on walks. You know her. You just don't remember them. But you are part of an eternal family. Now, may I testify, and we're going to talk today that this eternal family will be so much, more be so much better when you are connected to that family. The better child of that family you are, the better mom or dad you'll be in this life. You want to make your eternal family, you want to make your earthly family eternal, the key is to start with that family. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But it doesn't end here. Is this the end goal? Is my mortal body the end goal? As I put my reading glasses on to read this page in front of me. This is not the goal, is it? So this is the, the thing that already exists. Now I want, tell me what I want. What do I want the end goal to be? I want to have a resurrected and can I say celestial body. So if this is what already exists, I need to add something created so that I can have a resurrected celestial body. What do I add to this mortal body to make it a resurrected celestial body? I add an atonement. Now, Jesus performed the atonement. I'm not trying to suggest that it was not. But symbolically, Jesus is married. 
The scriptures speak of that symbolism all the time, right? The parable of the ten virgins. What are they waiting for? The bridegroom. The bridegroom. Who's there? The bride's there. They're waiting for the bridegroom. Jesus is married. So symbolically, you inherit a mother and a father. And they administer the atonement. The church didn't give birth to the atonement, but the church administers it. The bride of Jesus is the church. And so once again, there's another family, the family of the covenant. Are we literally children of Christ? Turn with me to Mosiah chapter 7, verse 5. Mosiah chapter 7, verse 5. I need someone to read that when you get there. Justin? And behold. Mosiah 7, 5. And behold, they met the king. Oh, sorry, 5, 7. 5, 7, that's dyslexic. <laughs> Mosiah 5, 7. My apologies. And now because of the covenant which Jesus made, he shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he has spiritually begotten. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore, ye are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters. So there's another birth, right? If there's another birth, are there more parents? Do you have a mom in this? Were you ever in your mom's womb? Now, I know you've probably never thought of it like this, but guess what's right here? Your mother's womb. And once again, you have to go back, be encased in water, and come out born again. Do you see the symbolism? The church, Jesus, are trying to usher you into another family. We shut that so he can see. So, are we all members of this family? Not necessarily. What did King Benjamin say? Because of the covenant. Jesus is only your father if what? You make covenants with him. But though there are your three families, the family of God the Father, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, earthly families, and the family of the covenant. When President Nelson gave that great talk and said, I want you to identify, I want, you, I want to talk about your three identities. Remember what they were? Child of God, child of Christ, child of Christ, and child of the covenant. There they are. Three eternal families. Now, this is the proclamation. Here's our text for this class. You wouldn't be surprised if it begins with which family? That family. The proclamation begins with what kind of parents are Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And then it transitions and guess who becomes the subject of the second half of the proclamation? Christ. Do you see what the proclamation is doing? You can only make family on earth work if it's patterned after this family, if you're connected to that family. Allow me to testify. 
I will never be a good father until I am a good child. If I want to improve as a father, what do I improve? Your relationship with I improve as their child. Very little that you do will improve your earthly family more than connecting with this family. So what I want to do today is focus on what kind of parents are Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father. Now I'm worried you're going to hear the wrong thing. <clears throat> I want you to hear what kind of mom or what kind of dad should you be. You should be like them. But that's not what I, I think that's what you're going to hear. That's not what I want you to hear. I want you today to focus on being their child. Having greater faith in that relationship. And that will help you become a better parent. Better at mortal families. So let's talk about what kind of parent they are, but don't get caught up in being that kind of parent. That's a great lesson. But today, I want to talk about you as a child and them as your parent. Now, one of the key skill sets that we are going to talk, we'll talk about this next week, is what do we know about Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother? This whole first paragraph, I think, can be boiled down to one word. Where does Heavenly Father put family in His plan? In the center. Now, two thoughts, right? Where am I? in Heavenly Father's life. Where am I? If you don't believe you are at the center of His heart, there's something missing in your faith. You are at the center of His heart. He puts family at the center. Now, we'll come back to that idea because I want to start here in the next paragraph. I want to strip away all the other words except for what I've highlighted in red. Let's assume this document was written by them, inspired to prophets, seers, and revelators, and that your heavenly parents wrote this paragraph. If I stripped away all the words except for what I've highlighted and drawn arrows to. Tell me about your heavenly Father. Tell me what you see there. He knows us individually. All human beings. And then he uses what word? Each. 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 I know it's a struggle because there's so many of us and we often get lost in the reality that He knows me. He knows me. He knows every hair on my head. 
He knows what breaks my heart. He knows what I love. He knows what scares me. He knows what I need. He knows each of us. Before you ever want to, before we focus on making this better, you've got to get that concept in your head. You are at the center of his heart and he knows you individually. He sees you. Now, this is where it gets a little bit difficult because we're going to, you're going to think we're going to skip to this family. But how, how do we know what kind of person Heavenly Father is? How did Heavenly Father show us what kind of person he is? Okay, so we got to look at Jesus temporarily, but who are we really seeing here? Okay, so don't be confused. We're going to read about Jesus, but what we're studying is you and Heavenly Father. You and Heavenly Mother. So let me just show you a couple examples from Christ. Let's start in Luke chapter 7. One of my absolute favorites is in Luke chapter 7. Go to the New Testament. Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. Luke 7. 36. Everyone there? Okay. One of the Pharisees desired him that he should eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it. I just think that's so fascinating. The Pharisee saw it. Tell me what this man saw. What did the Pharisees see? He didn't see the person, didn't see her. He just saw what the worthlessness in her, basically. Saw her behavior, saw her actions. He saw a sinner which he probably thought was the scum of the earth. Yep. He saw the sin. Doing something that would honor. And she's touching him. I can't believe he's touching him. Out about Jesus getting anointed with more expensive oil. Yeah. He probably saw that too. 300 pounds. Yeah. 300 penny worth. You wasted so much. He saw it. And he said within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman that this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Tell me what he saw. Now, for, for so many years, the greatest typo that has ever occurred in all of Scripture was right there in that verse. 
They've corrected it, unfortunately, because it was such a beautiful typo. But in my 1990 scriptures, let me pull out my 1990 scriptures. Ready? Let me show you that word. Wait, I put it somewhere else. Uh, scripture text. Here they are. Ready? This is what Luke 7 used to say. Do you see the typo? Best typo ever. Because what, what did he see? He saw a triple N sinner. Now, unfortunately, part of the lesson is when we talk about Jesus and when we talk about God, we have to say quite often when we look at each other, we see it. When you look at us, when you look at your friends, when you look at your family, sometimes you see it. When some men look at a woman, they see her body. Sometimes we see size, flaws. Just like Simon, we see it. Now watch Jesus, ready? Again, hear a lesson about your heavenly Father. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have someone to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said, thou hast rightfully judged. And then he turned to the woman and said what might be my favorite phrase that Jesus ever uttered. And again, this is my heavenly father. This is a quality of your heavenly parents. Jesus said to Simon, seest thou this woman. Tell me what Jesus saw. Her. Her. Not the outward. He saw her. I think it's more than that. Already. He didn't just, so it's not just a child of God that he saw. He saw his daughter. Yeah. Right. For him, it's more personal. We're so all, We're all children of God. So let me say it this way. When you look at yourself, often, what do you see? You can be honest. You see it. You see it. You see the flaws. You see the imperfections. And sometimes you do the same thing that Simon did. Ew! Yeah. You look at yourself and say, you. But the first lesson I would teach you about family is that you have a father and a mother who see you. They see you. Which you is in front of them right now? Which you? The August 31st, 2023 you? Is that the you they see? What do they see? 
Do they see the one that's still in their presence? Do they see the premortal you? They still do. Because they're in eternity. Do they see the eternal you? His heavenly father right now looking at your wedding day. Right now, is he looking at your wedding day? Yes, he is. Is he looking at you walking into the celestial kingdom? Does he see all that? Now, do you trust that he sees or do you see it? Lesson number one is that you are a child of divine parents who see you. You'll never be a good parent until you understand that. But I don't think very many of you believe that. I think we all need to fix a little bit of our faith and trust that a divine father and a divine mother see all that I am. They don't see it. Let me show you one of my other favorite examples. Let's take Jesus with someone taken in sin, a really, really bad sin. Let's take one of the worst possible sins. Let's take that person who just committed that sin and put them right in front of Jesus. You see where I'm going? Luke chapter 8, or sorry, John chapter 8. Everyone turn to John chapter 8. The woman taken in adultery. So, New Testament, John chapter 8. And just kind of get there at the very beginning. Here comes a woman taken in adultery in the very act. Now watch Jesus not see it. And tell me what he sees. And tell me what kind of person he is. Because until I change this idea that you have of God, you're never going to be good at family here on earth. You've got to break a false idea. And the false idea is that the father looks at you and goes, you. Here's my evidence. Ready? Here is a woman taken in adultery. The Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Moses in the law said that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now, all of this is a trap. They just want to trap Jesus. If he says, don't stone her, then he doesn't believe in the law of Moses, can't be the Messiah. If he says, stone her, then he doesn't believe in mercy, can't be the Messiah. They think they've got him trapped. Should we stone her or not? Brilliant Jesus says what? Well, first of all, what does he say? I'm not going to judge her. He wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. But they force him. They forced him. So when he, they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, did he judge her? Don't shake your head. Think. Did he judge her? The answer is yes. He's the eternal judge. What did he basically say? 
she should be stoned. If the law of Moses says she should be stoned, yes, she should be stoned. But what did he add? None of you should stone her. But did he judge her? And was there someone there who qualified to stone her? Yes. Yes. And did he? No. He did not. The one person who passed the test said what? I'm not going to stone her. But what kind of God do you think we have? I think most of you think we have a throw stones kind of God. That he must hate me for all that I've done. Did he judge her? Yes. But watch what he doesn't do. He said she's guilty. And there was one person who qualified to stone her. So they all leave away condemned by their conscience, right? And when he's left alone, when Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst, notice this green phrase back to Luke 7. When Jesus had lifted himself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man, Lord. Now listen to what Jesus said, who just said she's guilty of committing sin. But what does he say? Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin your no more. What does this part mean? You have broken the law. Is he excusing? Is he, is he saying everything is okay? Is that what God does? Is he just looks the other way when you sin? Does he acknowledge that you need to change? But tell me what Jesus didn't do. He didn't condemn her. See, here's the thing. When mortal people, can, when mortal people judge you, it comes with a, a healthy slice of condemnation. Human beings don't know how to judge without condemnation. But God, and, and because of that, we sometimes get the impression that that's how God judges. But God does not condemn. There is a beautiful footnote here. Go to the footnote. You've got to catch the footnote on verse 11. Tell me how this woman left the father. This is a sinner. This is a woman who just committed one of the most serious sins. Stands face to face with Christ. Knows she needs to change. And yet walks away doing what? Now, I bet you anything, if I were to say Jesus is in the next room and he wants to talk to you, most of you would say, oh, crap. Because <laughs> what do you expect Christ to do to you? You expect disappointment. You expect God to look at your life and say, oh my gosh. Now here's a woman who was a sinner and tell me how she walks away. She knows what? Tell me what she knows. I need to change. But he is not a condemning God. 
I think most of us are terrified of God and Jesus. And that needs to change. The first thing to being part of their eternal family and having an eternal family is understanding that that is not the kind of father you have in heaven. He sees you. He sees each of you individually in all your glory. And when you sin, does he say you need to change that? Absolutely. But does he do it in a way that you would walk away glorifying him? I guarantee if you met with God, it wouldn't be disappointment you felt. You would know you needed a change. But you would walk away glorifying him. That's the concept you've got to get of father. Our father does not condemn you. That's critical. Elder Uchtdorf, uh, when he was giving Jesus Christ as the strength of youth, he says that if the Savior were here right now, what would he say to you? I believe he would start by expressing his deep love. He might say it in words, but it would also flow so strongly just from his presence that it would be unmistakable, reaching deep into your heart, filling your whole soul. Now, here's the irony. You've all seen this picture, right? I know you've all seen this picture. You know that there's no handle that you have to open the door, right? Jesus is knocking on the door. Tell me what's happening on the other side. What would you be doing if Jesus is knocking on the door? <laughs> okay, what else would you be doing besides holding your breath? You would be frantically cleaning the house. When do you think you should let him? When would you let him in? I'm going to let him in when the house is clean and I'm in my Sunday clothes. Now, when does he want to come in? He wants to help clean the house. When is your embarrassment of the messy house going to end and you let him in? Now, I'm not talking about Christ here. Who am I talking about? Your father. When is your embarrassment of having a messy house going to end? And you open that door and say, I need you right now. Mess and all. <laughs> now is when I need help. In my mud. That's the father you have. And until that idea grasps a hold of you, we, don't, we shouldn't even talk about anything else. Because until you are part of that family in your heart and in your head, Nothing else is going to change here. You are that child. Please, and then Abby. Um, I was thinking of, of like what you were talking of, that that's why Christ is there. He's here to help clean up our lives because we think, oh man, Christ is here. He's the judge. Man, we got we to gotta repent really quickly. But what we might not realize is that that's the entire reason why he's there and that we can't repent without him. We can't clean the house without him and I was just thinking like that's that's kind of like I don't know impactful of we're we're here trying to clean the house get ready for Jesus to be here but that's actually Jesus is here to help clean the house 
So that and he's can... bringing the mops and the brooms and the vacuums <laughs> and the duster. And how much cleaner will the house be with his help? And again, are we talking about Jesus? We're not. Who are we talking about? We are talking about Heavenly Father. I believe you have not fully let your father into your life because you're worried about shame and embarrassment. And you need to change what you think about your eternal father. You've made him into a creator and a God, and yet what is he? What does he want to be called? Father. Make him your father. And stop worrying about the clean house. Open that door. Learn to pray. I think some of us pray with a closed door because I really don't want to connect with him. Open the door when you pray and let him in. Abby, and then here. Um, so um, I just noticed at the beginning of that John 8 section um, when the Pharisees brought the woman to him um, he didn't say anything because like he's not quick to judge yeah he like didn't want to say anything because he is so yeah he is not quick to judge Yep. But I'm not gonna. No, you you did great. She's very tall. So he's wearing that robe. Perhaps he's knocking on the door of our. He's wearing our sins. Yeah. Yeah. What I I love that Jesus wears red because I I love this symbolism. Knowing the Savior the way we've gotten come to know Him, what color do you think He wore? What was His clothing? I know he wore white, right? Don't you? Does anyone doubt that? I know he wore white. So Jesus walks into Gethsemane wearing white. And knowing what happened in Gethsemane, what does he walk out wearing? Okay, physically he's covered in red because of the blood, right? Now, I am meeting him in Gethsemane. Jesus and I are going to have a meeting in Gethsemane. What do I walk in wearing? I'm wearing red. I'm wearing my sins. I am covered in my sins. What color am I walking out with? What did I do with my sins? I put them on him. He walked in wearing red, walks out wearing, or sorry, he walks in wearing white, walks out wearing red. I walk in wearing red and walk out wearing white. So he's already wearing the red. Do you think he's going to condemn me for my sins? Or help me clean them up. Let your father into your life. Create a relationship with him as child. The best thing you can do for your current and future family is to have that relationship with a heavenly father. If you can begin to do that, imagine what kind of parent you'll be. 
Turn to your hymn book. I love hymn number 187. Hymn number 187. We'll, we'll, we'll call them the green scriptures today. Turn to your green scriptures. Green scriptures, section 187, verse 3. I love this concept. And I would just pray that you would understand and love this concept. Okay, let me get there. I'll just quote it. Ready? Hymn number 187, verse 3. O love effulgent, love divine, what debt of gratitude is mine, that in his offering I have part and hold a place within his heart. You are a child of heavenly parents. You are a child of heavenly parents who love you more than you can possibly understand, who see you, who do not condemn you, and are begging to be in your life. Now, I know we don't pray to Heavenly Mother. I know we don't necessarily, but do you think she's involved in your life? Can I show you a pattern? How involved is she in your life? Which one? Your earthly mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, All of them. How will you be more specific? Either one of them. How involved is mom in your life? One of them. Now, if that's a pattern, if that's a pattern, what would you say about a perfect mom? When you pray, does she hear? Does she answer? Is she involved in your life? Yeah. Let them in. Stop this silly keeping the door closed. Think about how you pray. I wonder how many of you pray kind of keeping the door closed because you don't want to fully let them in until the house is clean. Let them in. Open the door. There is no condemnation. Just let me help you clean up the house. Those are your heavenly parents. Now, what we didn't get to, maybe we'll take a minute in our next class, but everything that they do, let's read this paragraph. And again, I want to strip out all the other words and focus on what do heavenly parents want in my life? In the premortal realm, we knew and worshiped them as Father, not as God, not as your majesty, not as some distant creature. We knew them as mom and dad. We accepted his plan. Now tell me what his plan does. Heavenly Father's plan is to get certain things, have certain experiences, so that we what? Grow, progress towards perfection. All they really want is that we're moving the right direction. Are they super stressed out that we're not at the end? Are you super stressed out that you're not at the end? Yes. <laughs> Why are you when they're not? 
The whole reason you're here is to get certain things, experience certain things, so you move in the right direction so that ultimately you can have everything that they have. Their whole purpose is to enable you to let you grow, to make things available to you, to make it possible to return and be united. What kind of God does that sound like? Now, forgive me, here's the God in your head. Here's the God of that paragraph. Are they the same? That needs to change. The whole purpose of your Heavenly Father is to give, enable, make possible, make available, unite, and return. You need to change what you think of Heavenly Father. He is an enabling God. Here's what I want you to have, God. Here's the experiences I need you to have, even if they're painful. I need you to have these experiences so that you move forward and I can give you all that I have. I want you to grow. He is an enabling God, not a condemning God. We need to change, but it's not because he's condemning us. He loves us. Step number one is be his child. Not the God in your head's child. Be his child. And let him in your life. We can begin to fix these other families if you'll do that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Eternal Family Podcast Class. This has been class number two entitled Our Heavenly Parents.